0: Now we're working our way through Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, the first six verses. This is part 11. And the title this morning is What Does It Mean to Consider Jesus? And How Can I Know When I've Done This Properly? What does it mean to consider Jesus, and how can I know when I've done this properly? Hebrews 3, 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, and there it is. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And you start to think, where are you going with this? Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's just pray. Again, Lord, we want to understand the tie between spiritual life and the mindful exercise of properly considering Jesus. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and quicken our hearts and minds around this involved text this morning. It's your word, and there's something you want to carve into my heart and our hearts as we're bowed before you, and so um, let there be a feeding of our souls, not through any brilliance of the speaker, but through the work of your Holy Spirit and the magnificence of Jesus Christ. We ask it in your name, amen. first question I have with this text is why do we need another comparison with yet another Old Testament character? Already, if you start at chapter 1, our writer has compared Jesus with the Old Testament prophets, compared Jesus with angelic beings. Already we've had quotation after quotation from the Psalms, more from Isaiah, and you start to think, reverently, of course, enough already. Do we really need another comparison of Jesus with Moses? The reason, I think, becomes obvious when we remember the first audience, the first listeners to this letter, because it would have been read. They wouldn't be reading it the way you and I are. It's called the letter to the Hebrews because it's directed primarily to Jewish believers who face pretty heated opposition from Judaizers who felt that any conversion to Jesus, the Messiah, God the Son, was a blasphemous act, a betrayal of the Judaic faith. And so these Jewish believers were in danger of being pressured to turn back from Christ to the law. That was quite a sneeze, wow. <clears throat> Pressure to turn back from Jesus to the law. And when you think about the Old Testament law, who do you think of first? Well, Moses. In fact, in fact, there are places in the Bible where the Old Covenant is actually called, not God's law, but the law of Moses. If you read Malachi 4.4, 4, you don't need to look it up. Remember, the law of my servant Moses. The statutes, the rules. Moses' law. And so not surprisingly, when, when, when the Jews wished to discredit... And reject God's final revelation in the Christ. They they would oppose the gospel by proclaiming loyalty to Moses. They used Moses to hold Christ in contempt. You You can see this when you look at it carefully in the New Testament. Jesus heals the blind man and you can you can see the reaction of the jewish leaders it's recorded in john chapter 9 26 to 29 they said to him this is they're speaking to the blind man who's been healed what did he do to you how did he open your eyes and he answered them i've told you already and you would not listen why do you want to hear it again do you also want to become his disciples they must have loved that Look at 28. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples. We, we follow Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. This man, we don't know. So, Moses, over and over again, by the Judaizers is set in opposition to Jesus. Moses is the other loyalty of religious devotion. And Moses is contrary to Jesus. And this is why the writer of Hebrews knows... he he has to set the record straight... as he writes to these tottering Jewish believers... about Moses and Christ... Our writer knows this is is the line in the sand for these people. It's hard for us to get our heads around just how important this issue was. All right, here's what's happening in this difficult text. And I need to know that you're with me. You all with me? You're awake? You're alert? You're set to go, right? All right. Here's what's happening in today's text. First... In verse 1, there's the urgent need for meaty thinking about the meaning of Jesus Christ. That's in verse 1. Second, in verses 2, 3, and 4, Jesus is superior to Moses because while Moses is in God's house, Jesus is the builder of the house. We'll get to that. Third, in verse 5, The writer shows that if anyone truly honors Moses, that person will recognize that Moses pointed to Jesus, the Christ. That's third. And then fourth, in verse 6, the writer urges just constant boldness in standing for Christ in the face of opposing religious systems. That's where we're going this morning. Point number one, and this will take the most time. Considering Jesus, the greatest need, and the easiest point of neglect. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, and there's the command, that's that's the action, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So, there's something really strange here. Jesus is called the Apostle and High Priest of, that's why I underlined it, our confession. These people confess Jesus, right? That's not complicated. These are Christians. They are holy brothers and sisters... These are people who share in a heavenly calling. They confess Jesus. They pray to him. They worship him. They sing songs to him. They believe in him. They tell others about him. And... The striking implication of this first verse is... ...they are able to do all of this without adequately considering Jesus. What is that? Because these Christians are told they they urgently need to consider Jesus. Now, they're being... um, persecuted, they're being ostracized, they're being argued against, they're being pulled away from Christ. And apparently, they aren't considering Christ adequately. I was thinking about that. I think we can start by saying some basic things, just just word definitions. I think we can all acknowledge considering is different from knowing. I know, uh, without even Googling it, I know that the sun is 93 million miles from the earth. That's what it is. It's 93 million miles. That's why it takes so long for the light of the sun to reach the earth although it is downhill it's 93 million miles from earth i know that for sure but i but i never think about it okay so knowing something knowing something is true and believing it's true that's not the same as Considering it. Agreed? Those are two different things. I think we can take it a little bit further. I think we could all agree that considering is different from noticing. Noticing happens almost instantly. Noticing happens sometimes without even trying to notice. A couple weeks ago I was driving home from church. It's was about... Ten, quarter after four, there was snow on the ground. And as I was going up uh, London Road, I noticed kids, because it's kind of downhill, I noticed kids on skateboards. There's snow on the ground, they've got skateboards, shorts and t-shirts, two kids. Cute kids. So I noticed it. I never thought about it again. I didn't consider them. I I didn't make my mind do anything with what I noticed. Right? I mean, I just saw it. There was no mental exercising there. So, So, noticing that doesn't lead to considering will always lack impact. It'll lack Depth. Just noticing something has no staying power in your mental life until you, until you start to think about, draw implications from what you noticed. So, the call in our text is consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Considering Jesus is thinking about Jesus stretched out. It's thoughts about Jesus that are intensified, labored over. It's it's what you know about Jesus exercised. Considering is forcing thought. ...about Jesus. It's amazing how we do this with the things that are important to us... ...and have to be told to do it about Jesus. talk to people all the time. They're, oh, they're looking at the price of houses. They're looking at what they can get for their house. They're looking at what they can buy somewhere else. And they map it all out... And they figure out if they sold their house, they could get X paid off on their mortgage. And they could have X money left over. And if they invested it, they can get a certain percent. And they could buy in, you know, Shibugamu. And they could put X dollars in the bank. But you have to make sure you've got the closing date right. Because you don't want to sell your place before the place you're... See what they're doing? They're considering it. That's considering our writer is saying is we come and we don't do that deeply enough about Jesus. Born Christmas, born of a virgin, died on the cross, resurrected, believe in him and I go to heaven when I die. There. And I would say to you, that's not considering anything. That's just reciting something. Remember, our writer in 3.1 is urging Christians to do this. He, he writes to Christians whose hearts are inclined maybe to know no more about Jesus than they need to know so their sins are forgiven and they go to heaven. And they try to live their whole Christian life with nothing but that. Week after week after week. ...churches all across Canada... ...there are people who enjoy hearing about Jesus... ...at the immediate moment of hearing. They enjoy singing songs... ...they might even enjoy listening to sermons... ...they enjoy church... ...all of which is good... ...that's all positive. But, but the impact of it is only felt... ...at that present moment... ...and they are quickly moved away... ...from what they have heard later on. I don't mean they deny it as untrue... ...I mean it just leaves their mind as quickly as it entered. So they know what's taught. They know it inside out. Maybe that's the problem. They notice what's said because they agree with it, and then the power went out of the truth as life moved on to something else, and our writer says, wait a minute. Bend your brain around this stuff for a while. Write something down. Consideration is what makes spiritual truth profitable for more than just the moment when you hear it. Everybody get that sentence? Consideration is what makes spiritual truth profitable for more than just the moment that you hear it. It drags the implications of what you know... ...into the other things that you do. That's the issue our writer has in mind. So these Jewish believers, they had started out their Christian lives... ...because the truth of the gospel had reached their minds. The truth obviously had impacted them. They were converted, but now they're being pressured. They're being pressured to abandon Christ and to return to the old covenant. So here's the important question is the truth heard earlier at their conversion, is that enough to keep their hearts and minds later in their time of testing? And yes, it is. But not without fresh consideration. The truth they had heard at first... ...had not suddenly become untrue... ...that wasn't the problem. The problem is... ...truth only has staying power... ...and preserving power... ...as it's considered... ...at continuously... ...deeper and deeper levels. I had had the experience... ...of... uh, and I had that cold a few weeks ago, and it was hard to sleep at night. You know that thing where you lie down at night, you're doing okay, and then as soon as you lie down at night, all of a sudden there's there's no air reaching your lungs, and you can't breathe. You know that that feeling. So I have this thing, uh, some kind of decongestant. I don't know what it is. And I'm opening it up, and it's and it's doing nothing, nothing. And I looked at the little. Container, it's got those childproof lids that adults can't open either. You know the ones I mean. And the, exp- I had this for a while because the expiry date was two thousand and one. <laughs> Sam, that's no good, eh? Two thousand one. But I've saved a fortune on decongestants since 2001. I'm going somewhere with that. Unconsidered truth, unconsidered biblical truth, is like medicine that was once potent, but has long passed its expiration date. I've gone way too long on this point, but I want to wrap it up this way. Because I think this might come close to home for for some people here or some of your friends. Let me wrap it up with this. Most people I have encountered who have recently made the, the trendy move from Christian to atheist, most of them, when I talk to them, are fake atheists. By that I mean they've never actually demonstrated untruth in the biblical faith faith they once professed. They are just pretending that they've done all that mental work, arguing it all out, reasoning it all out. What has actually happened in most of them, if they've fallen into the lazy rut of just not considering deeply and applying their early faith in deeper and deeper and more disciplined ways. They're, they're just mentally bragging when they call themselves atheists. All they are really is backslid. Are you doing this? Point number two. Moses is in God's house. Jesus is the builder of God's house. And it's important to know the difference. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. It's speaking Jesus. I put that in. Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him... ...just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses... ...as much more glory as the builder of a house... ...has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone... ...the builder of all things is God. It's it's an involved kind of a text... ...and you read it and you, you know you're supposed to... ...revere it because it's Bible. But... ...by the way... ...what we're doing now... ...in these challenging verses... ...that most of us don't quote very often. It's kind of like fresh reading material... ...even though you may have read your Bible through many times. But what we're doing... ...in these difficult verses... ...is just a refresher... ...of our first point. We are now starting to... ...freshly... ...consider something about Jesus... ...that we may not have thought before. This is what he's talking about. Considering Jesus... We're being stretched into some thoughts about Jesus that aren't just the religiously religiously rehearsed ones that we all know. We're not dancing lightly here. We're, We're pushing our thoughts. We're pressing them a bit beyond what comes easily. Don't get lost in the phrases. The point really isn't as complicated as it seems. Moses is an important part of God's redemptive construction project. Jesus is the whole project viewed in completion, where it's all going, what's being built. Through Moses, we get the clearest revelation of God's holy law. Through Moses, Israel, and then the nations around Israel, Israel receives a more complete understanding of the human dilemma in the fall. We learn education isn't going to fix the problem of sin. We're morally bent. We're twisted. You can't just tell a person the right thing to do and then assume that that's what the person is going to do. That's naive. And through Moses and the developing history of Israel... We also learn that the sin problem isn't something that we will overcome if we just have enough time. That is the reason, I mentioned it last week, that's the reason your Old Testament is so much thicker than your New Testament. The problem isn't getting people, the plan of redemption can be conveyed. The problem is getting people to think they need it. Hundreds of years roll by. Hundreds of years. Centuries. With a record of nothing but repeated failure. Repeated rebellion. We have missed history marching by. Century after century teaching us. Mankind can't overcome the effects of sin. The way he can get over the flu. And Moses is a big part of that historic process. He The text says he's a faithful servant in unpacking God's revelation. He helps build that house. That understanding. That construction project of divine revelation. Moses is a key builder in that plot. But, our writer will say, Jesus isn't just a part of the house. He's the builder of the house of redemption. He is the fulfillment of all that moses and all the other prophets had predicted and pointed to and, and and that's what jesus meant when he told the religious leaders those propagators of the righteousness of moses he told them all that he not the temple was the new dwelling place of god matthew twelve six. i tell you something greater than the temple is here now folks Jesus, God incarnate, is the maker of the house. Moses was just a part of the house. And then our writer is going to make, in the third point, an even more specific reference to the difference between Moses and Jesus, the Christ. Moses, point number three, is only properly honored when Jesus Christ is embraced as Lord of all. Look at these words in verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant... ...to testify to the things... ...that were to be spoken later. Interesting. What our writer is trying to say... ...to these tottering Jewish believers... You don't honor Moses just by looking at Moses. You honor Moses by looking what looking at what Moses was pointing to. It's one of the neat experiences of life. One of the first things, here's a first lesson with an infant I still remember learning it. You can't show them things the way you show adults things. Have you ever sat with a tiny infant and something you You imagine they will find fascinating is going on over there, and you go, Look, look! And what do they look at? Yeah. I remember the first time that happened. Look! That's the danger our writer sees in the Jewish. Honoring of Moses. And it's the great blindness of Judaism to this day. Moses, like all the rest of the prophets, was just the finger pointing to something much greater. And and our writer says, Moses' role was to faithfully testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses shared ...this faithful anticipation with all the other Old Testament prophets as well. You can see it if you want a longer explanation in 1 Peter... ...whoops, what did I do? There. Concerning this salvation, the prophets... ...who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours... ...he's writing to the church... ...searched and inquired carefully... ...inquiring what person or time... ...look what was working here... ...the spirit of Christ in them. Christ is not just a part of the house. ...was indicating when he predicted the sufferings... ...predicted the sufferings of Christ... ...and the subsequent glories... ...some we haven't even experienced yet. It was revealed to them... ...that they were serving not themselves... Any more than when I go, look, I don't mean for them to look at my finger. Not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. That's enough. This is the greater glory of Christ over Moses... Moses and the prophets are the finger doing the pointing. Christ is the object of our hope. I've got to hurry to my last point, okay? Four. The danger of not faithfully considering the greatness of Jesus, the Christ. Three six. For Christ is faithful over God's house... ...as a son... ...and we are his house... ...if indeed... ...we hold fast our confession... ...and our boasting... ...in our hope. Now our writer is just introducing a warning next week. He'll develop it for a, half a chapter. There's an if. And we are his house... If And and what's happening here, it's actually very good writing. Because all of a sudden, as he starts to wrap this up, and he's going to get into the warning, but in the very first verse of the warning, he's, he's calling us all back to the first point of this text, the need to constantly, continuously, and more deeply consider Jesus Christ. You won't stand by accident. There is a grace that enables us to stand. I get that. But it doesn't fall down from the sky like rain or float around in the air like oxygen. It comes from considering, thinking, pondering, meditating, relearning. The great things of Jesus Christ. That's where stability comes from. That's what he's saying. lady, God bless her, she doesn't come to this church anymore, and she left and she talked to me and she said, the reason I'm coming is I can't stand the way every Sunday you're constantly making us think about things. Good night. If you're in a church that doesn't make you consider leave. So the, the difference now is we're being told why we need to consider Christ. That's where he's come through this passage that we've worked through. What happens if we don't so consider Christ? And as our writer cautions these Jewish believers... ...and as they face the persecution of their fellow Jews... ...to turn back to Moses from Jesus... ...we get to see a very important principle. If you forget everything else... Get this sentence. Other religious systems... ...will appear equally valid to Christianity... ...only when Jesus isn't considered diligently. Okay? Other religious systems... ...will appear equally valid to Christianity... ...only when... ...Jesus isn't considered diligently... ...because there's the difference. This is the explanation of those two strange words as he wraps up verse 6. Confidence. He talks about confidence and he talks about boasting. But, but the confidence and the boasting aren't, aren't self confidence and they aren't arrogant boasting. It's not that. They're a deep rooted hope. They're a deep rooted hope. ...and joy that at last true glory has been found in Jesus Christ. We're no longer just looking at separate parts of the house. We have the, the deliverance of the builder himself. Our creator God has given Christ the name above all names. This is why you stand on a verse like... Read it with me. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It stands all by itself. For as long as I'm here, and hopefully until Jesus comes back, in this room, we will spend hour by hour by hour, by week by week by week, by month by month by month, by year by year by year, constantly unfolding, magnifying, explaining, and studying the greatness of Jesus Christ. You never reach the end of it. This, this will be the surprising delight of heaven. It's it's no reflection of guilt that we can't imagine it now because our finite existence won't let us. But do you ever have just that odd time? It must have come to you at least once or twice in your Christian life where suddenly something from God's word just so lit up that you felt in the depth of your bones, you went, oh, man, that's great. Okay, in heaven, you can't get your head around it. So don't even try. Forever and ever and ever, because God is so great, those moments will never stop. Like, we can't imagine that right now. Like, now you study, you get your degree, you're done. But around the throne, this is why all those angelic beings, however long they've been there, They still, they're not forced at gunpoint. They still fall on their faces. Holy, holy, holy. I I can't, I can't, I can't believe this. And in a trillion years, there'll still be new stuff unfolding about the greatness of God. And it doesn't stop. What a hope. What a hope. Let's pray together, church.